I'm Mark Olson. We don't often talk about reality TV here on The Real, but lots of people have been talking about this reboot of The Hills. So let's get into it. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, staff writer Amy Kaufman, author of the book Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure. Amy, thank you for being here. Thanks, Mark. And our new TV editor, Matt Brennan. Matt, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Amy, I'll start with you whenever I think of reality television. I turn to you for guidance. And we're recording this after a reality television bonanza. It had both the premiere of the new version of The Hills and, of course, the current season of The Bachelorette. Tell me about about your evening watching a lot of reality television. I mean, there's nothing better for me, Mark, I have to tell you. Also, we were coming off a Sunday with a very anticipated Kardashians episode, the episode where Jordan and Chloe faced off over the Tristan cheating allegations. So, you know, it was on a high from that. Then Monday night, we got all my friends coming over to watch The Bachelorette. And we're getting to the point in the season where I really get invested because we've narrowed out all of the fame seekers or the very obvious ones and getting to the substantive relationships. And then once those two hours of Bachelorette were over, I honestly was thinking, you know, can I really like dive into the hills right now? I want to be able to focus for this. I need to give it a fine full attention. But I was glad I did because shocker sucked me right back in. And now, Matt, we had a terrific story from our colleague Yvonne Villarreal that sort of has set up a lot of what this new version of The Hills is all about. So give me some sense of what this new version is and is not. Why do you think it matters that this show in particular is one that's come back? Well, one of the really smart things that Yvonne points out in her story is that The Hills sort of helped invent the notion of the social media influencer. So the original cast members, some of whom had previously appeared on a reality show called Laguna Beach, which was itself inspired by the Fox teen melodrama The O.C., whose star Misha Barton is now on The Hills' New Beginnings, if that Ouroboros is not enough to have confused you. The cast members of the original Hills then parlayed the success of the original run into sort of business opportunities and careers as public figures who were prominent on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Spencer Pratt was Snapchatter of the Year last year. And so this idea that you can appear on a reality show as a sort of regular person who maybe has a lot of money or lives a lucrative lifestyle and then become famous because of that instead of the reverse feels like really an era-defining sea change in reality television and television in general. And that has only resulted in a lot of other kind of copycats. I feel like the Real Housewives franchise being the most obvious. Um, It really takes a very similar idea and has just expanded it into... How many cities are the Real Housewives in now? (laughs) (laughs) At least, you know, seven. Yeah. Yeah. And so that has become what we think of as a reality star. But before The Hills, that would not have been the case. That's a really interesting point because as I was thinking about The Hills coming back and Gavon, I went to the opening night launch party for it. And I'll be frank, it wasn't great. I got a bad vibe being there. Like it was in what used to be the club Lee Do. And now it's called Liaison, I believe. And it just had a sad feeling to it. Like, there weren't a lot of people there. It was a very packed event. And they had Natasha Bedingfield, who sings the famous song Unwritten, the beginning opening track, like singing along to her track of music. 
guests. And like because all of the people now on the show have babies and families and are divorced and stuff, a lot of their families were there. And it was like, we're in this nightclub. The vibe is weird. And I felt like, are they clinging to something that doesn't exist? And on the way home, my friend and I were like, what's really different is that when The Hills came out in 2006, there were reality stars like The Bachelor, for example, started in 2002. But because social media wasn't as prominent then, there were only a couple famous ones. But now everyone who goes on The Bachelor has the opportunity to be famous because there's spinoffs. Everyone can get famous on Instagram. And so there's just so many that they don't feel as special anymore. But in the time of The Hills, they could be on the cover of tabloids and they really were, while being C-list celebrities, they were celebrities in a way that I don't think you can be anymore as a reality star necessarily. But also does the... L.A. that The Hills represents, the sort of original version of it, the sort of like Go-Go, La Cienega, Cuenca Boulevard, all those nightclubs. Is that scene as prominent now? Does it still have the same cachet? Is the world that they're depicting one that now is almost by definition kind of nostalgic or like a little out of date somehow? When I was an intern, I wrote one of my first stories about how Entourage and The Hills had people coming to L.A. for like spring break to just hit the spots that were shown on the hills, which were like that restaurant Ketchup and like Heidi worked at SBE. And then on Entourage, they went to Earth Cafe. It just made L.A. seem like this cool, glamorous place where you could have all these star sightings. And now it's like, I don't know if we're older or if that just feels lame. I don't know. Well, I think it ties into the point that you just made about the celebrity of the cast members who appear on these reality shows being diminished because the sheer number of celebrities from reality TV shows has grown. I don't think that there's enough bandwidth in the cultural ecosystem for people to be focused on where did everyone eat on the hills last night in the way that was true in 2006. I mean, my memory of this is when I was a student at USC— I was Amy's editor at the USC Daily Trojan, actually. My sister came to visit me at one point and wanted to go to Orange County to see locations from Laguna Beach. Mm. Is there an equivalent of that now? Because I don't see that in the reality TV landscape. And I, I think that the interesting thing on Amy's point about it being kind of sad is there's this strange element in all these nostalgic shows of it isn't just that we as viewers are nostalgic for the original Hills, which we fell in love with when we were 22 or 24 and watched with our friends. It's also that the cast members are nostalgic for their former fame. Right. And that the TV networks are nostalgic for an era in which that many people tuned into their shows. I think everyone sort of feels like it would be great to go back to the TV world of 1998 or 2006. Of event television for cable shows. Right. And since that doesn't exist anymore, I'm not sure if the kind of fame that grows up around that can exist anymore. Because in that way is the reboot of The Hills really not dissimilar from Will and Grace or Roseanne or Murphy Brown or any of the other conventional scripted shows that have been rebooted as well. Right, and I think that you are likely to see more revivals of unscripted programs. One, as the original cast members get further away from the fame and money of the originals, they might be interested in, you know, taking the leap back in front of the camera because it is lucrative, but also because the combination of unscripted TV being cheaper than scripted TV to produce and this sort of nostalgia boom that we're in the middle of, I think what you'll see is the energy that had been sort of flowing into reboots and revivals of 
90s sitcoms that we loved, you'll start to see that trickle into early reality shows that we loved. Also, the target age bracket for nostalgic TV is now people who were watching TV not in the late 90s so much as the early 2000s. Mm That felt like the real first moment where reality TV took over the culture, and it never let go. Amy, it's something that I enjoyed so much in your book on The Bachelor, Bachelor Nation, available now in paperback, (laughs) that you talked about the lives of these people after the show and the way some people parlay it into an extended career. Some people kind of walk away from it. And what's the kind of the track record with the cast of The Hills? It seems like some of them have remained somewhat in the limelight, some of them much less so. How do you feel about where everybody is as we're sort of like getting started on this new series? I've seen a lot of credit being given to Spencer and Heidi for sort of reviving this. And I kind of buy that, to be honest, because Spencer did create this quirky, weird social media presence starting on Snapchat, now kind of more on Instagram, where he would document his odd life. He and Heidi were living in Santa Barbara because they like squandered all the money they had made from the hills. And they were very open about that, even saying they spent a lot of it on crystals, like tens of thousands of dollars. But he started his own crystal business selling crystals and makes a lot of money from that. He is obsessed with hummingbirds, feeds them and documents them coming on his hands and very close to his face and became a family man. And I think people were like, wow, he doesn't seem like such a jerk anymore. And we're intrigued by that. And so maybe MTV was like, they still have some cachet. And they aren't as like one dimensional as they were sold to be the first time around. I don't know. Have you heard anything about Audrina these days, like before this or Whitney Port? As a very casual observer of the specifics of reality television, someone who focuses it on it more as kind of a trend or a genre looking at it from like a bird's eye level. I, other than Spencer and Heidi, was not aware of what any of these folks were up to in the intervening years. But what I think is a potentially interesting line of drama to pursue is this question of the original Hills was selling this very specific fantasy of life as a young person in the big city hanging out at glamorous spots and wearing the best clothes and And being very beautiful and slash surgically altered. Right. And the sort of romance of that. Now that they're older and have had some hard knocks in their lives, I wonder if this version of the show will reflect more deeply on that dark side of not just fame, but of getting older and realizing that things are not always going to go your way. Um, I mean, yeah, the premiere touched on that. I was a little surprised to see how they depicted Brody's marriage. Didn't seem great. They open with him talking about sleeping in the truck and he and his new wife have a fight and he says being married is kind of hard. He implies it's hard for him to stay faithful. And then the season teaser, they talk about having an open marriage. The other question we're all circling around here is like, Everyone knows that the OG Hills was completely scripted. All Kristen Cavallari, Spencer, they've all said that now. And now they're sort of selling this narrative of like, this time, no, like it's much more raw. And I'm like, but is it? I don't know. 
But is that some of the way in which, just as a show, as a production, The Hills created a lot of what we now understand as the grammar of these kind of reality shows? I think the Housewife shows, the Kardashian shows, all build from that same grammar of constructed realness of those shows. And does the new Hills, you think, then have to find some new way to portray some new version of realness or reality? It's like they're fighting against the thing they've already built. My answer to that would be, while it's impossible to do an apples-to-apples comparison because of what the baseline audience is, I'm curious to see how New Beginnings does in the ratings. I'm curious whether people want this more, quote-unquote, realistic version of life Mm -hmm. as an early 30-something in L.A. versus the fantasy version of being a young 20-something in L.A., I'm not convinced that people want the unvarnished view of that. But it's not really unvarnished. I mean, it's, you know, a little more. They show, yes, like Audrina has been divorced and is going through a custody battle. Like maybe Brody's having some marital problems. Heidi has trouble leaving her newborn son behind. Will the interest be there in a more domestic life? I, I don't know. Because also in the original show, there was at least this pretense that they had jobs. They were all trying to have fledgling careers and something or other. And (laughs) it seems like on this version, their job is their fame. And that is really a large part of what they're all seem concerned with. I think that that to me is when I say unvarnished, what I mean is less glamorous. Mm. If the focus is on things like their marriages and their children then does that take away the element that was so attractive about the original, which is let's see them out on the town. Growing up in Massachusetts, even though I was in college in L.A. at the time that it premiered, I didn't have the sort of money or necessarily the interest in trying to get into the clubs that they were going to. But you could watch it on TV and kind of dream about like, oh, that must be what it's like to be young and hip and rich in L.A. Are people in... Massachusetts or elsewhere, going to watch this and be like thinking, oh, wow, that's really what it's like to be 32 in L.A. and like hip-ish, rich-ish. I was so taken by something that was mentioned in Yvonne's story where at the premiere party for New Beginnings that there was, in fact, a crew from Vanderpump Rules there shooting as well. So the idea that one show is kind of going to cannibalize off of another show was something that I just found like really sort of like only in the world of reality TV would that kind of like dynamic exist. I don't know about you, Amy. You might say that I'm wrong about this, but when I think about going back to what we're talking about where people go out of their way to visit one of the places on it one of these van- shows. Yes. Vanderbump Rules is the exception that, that proves the rule. So many, because I'm from Massachusetts as well, so many people will be like, if I come, can we go to Sir? And I'm like, that's where you want to go? <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, all right. And now, Matt, you brought up an interesting point as well, which is that reinvention is such a part of the kind of the reality model and that this new version of The Hills is really playing off that. And to sort of like go even a few steps further, that... If we currently have a reality show president and we are living in a bizarre reality show country at the moment, like, do you think that people like the cast of The Hills almost look to the bigger reality, the president, and see, well, he can reinvent himself. He can have these multiple lives. And are people thinking like, well, then I can too, so that maybe new beginnings will in fact be a new beginning for them, launching them onto some new level of reality fame? 
I won't speak for the cast of The Hills actually looking to Trump as kind of inspiration for being able to reinvent themselves. Feels like a hard no for me, but keep going. (laughs) But I do think that we live in an ecosystem in which, one, your reality TV fame can be parlayed into other forms of power and influence, and that your past mistakes can be forgotten very easily and very quickly because of how quickly the news cycle works and because in the president's case of other propagandizing. And by the way, if you think that any of these people did this for any other reason than to make money again, you're wrong. Like, I mean, Spencer and Heidi, his crystal business legitimately makes money. It's like a jewelry thing. But I'm sure, like, they box the things themselves. I'm sure they don't want to keep doing that. And they're pretty open about saying they want to be rich and famous again. I don't know how someone like Audrina makes money. Whitney kind of used to be a fashion blogger and just kind of a mommy blogger. But, like, it can't be that lucrative other than getting branded sponsorships on their Instagram page. So I'm interested to see if this actually does give them a boost in relevance to being, quote-unquote, legitimately famous again to the point where they have the cachet to to have successful businesses a la Kristen Cavallari or Lauren Conrad. It just strikes me that reality TV, in a way, has become, in some sense, the kind of touchstone for the sort of American dream, get rich quick idea, where you can go from being sort of in bankruptcy proceedings to being a big star again because of being on television as yourself without any other particular skill other than self-aggrandizement. That is what connects sort of all of these things to me into one larger cultural moment. But again, it dates back to the original Hills and The Bachelor and Bachelorette. The world that these shows made is now the world that we see in our politics every day. And it's actually striking how stark and sort of honest people will be about that ambition on TV on the season of The Bachelorette. That's one of the main themes, there's a guy who seemingly is going to go pretty far named Jed, who is a singer-songwriter from Nashville. We've seen this kind of character on the show before. Any guy who walks in with a guitar is always like, okay, he wants to be a famous singer and he's using this as a platform, which is, by the way, illogical because no one's ever become a famous singer from being on The Bachelor. But he came on and he said to The Bachelorette Hannah, listen, when I got on the show, I saw it as a platform and I thought it would be good for my music career, but I've actually legitimately caught feelings for you. It really took me by surprise. And a lot of people were like, whoa, that was very honest. And she respected the honesty and appreciated it. And that has all been complicated further because there's this big tabloid story that came out in the last week that this girl came forward, said she'd been dating the guy for four months, that he got on the show and said, listen, I'm going on the show for a business opportunity. When we get off the show, we will be together. And now he's off the show and has ghosted her. So is that girl naive? Was he using it as a business opportunity? Can the two intermingle where you think it's going to be something and then maybe you do really fall? I mean, it's also dark. But see this, Amy, you and I have spoken about this before. This is for me as a person who's kind of at a distance from reality television. That's the thing that I 
feel most conflicted about and struggle with the most is that there is this built-in aspect of like we know this is fake right but we want to believe it we want to believe it only so much and then Matt as you're saying there's then all this kind of like push-pull balance that people are striking of what I'm showing you versus what I'm presenting to you and like I never know whether I'm supposed to feel entertained or inspired or depressed it's too much Amy it's too much I mean I've had many a fight with people in this newsroom because as everyone here knows I'm not a big fan of uh, like sci-fi or fantasy films and yet I love reality TV and a very memorable fight was someone being like I can't believe that you think this is any more real than Avatar or whatever it is I'm like but it could be real it could be possibly real and just that little shred of hope I guess that it could be something that I witness in the real world makes it accessible for me? I don't know. It's also interesting to me that, you know, part of this idea of showing some rawness is in admitting his ambition. Mm. This contestant on The Bachelorette, to me, automatically seems more real right? than someone who, to me, is sort of pretending to be a romantic at heart. Exactly. And so there's something in the case of The Hills admitting that they want to be rich and famous again is to me more yeah. authentic than pretending like, oh, well, I didn't really want to be on New Beginnings, but they sort of forced me into it. I don't need the nudge, nudge, wink, wink anymore. And maybe that's part of being jaded as a reality TV observer and as a TV viewer in general, is these kinds of layers of metatextualism end up being what you need to feel like there's something new under the sun in a very, very crowded landscape. Yeah, I find that the level of sophistication of viewership that these shows demand, to me, is really astonishing since we think of them as, yes. quote, trash TV. And yet, like, people watch them with this very sort of, like, heightened awareness. Oh, my God. I mean, first of all, I'm sitting here, Matt, thinking, you are so smart. You have great insights on this stuff, by the way, the way you're talking about everything. And I probably have a chip on my shoulder about this because I wrote a book about The Bachelor. And on a dating app, when the first thing they say is, well, what's your book about? Oh, The Bachelor. It's like, you know, they judge you. And I'm like, okay, but we can actually have very interesting conversations about all of this. I mean, but Mark, you were saying you don't want to be snobby about it, but it's not your cup of tea. I don't know what it is, but there's something about the cast of characters, if I can call them that, on the hills, that I think it's both those specific people and also the archetypes that they represent. Like, they do kind of just rub me the wrong way. And they're people that... Elaborate I, on that, though. Like, what do you mean? Be honest. I don't know that I'm that interested in what they have to say, and I don't know that I'm really that interested in what goes on in their lives because they are people that I do not end up invested in. Them. Because they're not people you could see yourself hanging out with. So you're like, well, why would I? Probably yeah. that's more or less it. That's more or less it. And I, I know that like part of you know my personal thing is there's a certain amount of like inbuilt snobbishness to like who I am or whatever. I and mean, I try to fight against that and be open-minded for my own sake or whatever. And so like, I feel bad hearing myself say that or like not being into these people, but like that's kind of like where I am. Like it's, it's a struggle for me to like care about them. To me, there's also an important distinction to be made though, between you enjoying something as a fan or reviewer and you understanding that other people enjoy it and trying to figure out why that is. So as a TV editor in an era where there are 500 scripted shows, and I mean, I can't even count the number of unscripted shows, I have to be open to 
telling really good stories about TV shows that I do not watch, that I don't personally care about, that I may never have heard of, and understanding that just because something isn't labeled prestigious doesn't actually mean that it is of lesser value because the label prestigious is itself sort of constructed around very, to me, retrograde ideas about what quality is. Yeah, but even the way you just described that, you're sort of saying, I'm willing to explore the phenomenon, and I think that's different than being a fan of it yourself. Right. I mean, I will cop to, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. Part of that is just a time thing, but part of that is I don't gravitate toward the narrative structure of reality TV. It doesn't pull me in quite as much. On the other hand, I have often found myself really into reality competition shows like Project Runway and Top Chef, which combine, I think, elements of The Hills kind of character building with a competition element that also helps draw me in. That's so interesting, too, because I, I, you know, we're in Emmy season and there's always been those are the shows that get nominated. Like, we can respect those shows, but, like, The Bachelor has never been nominated. And it's, like, the level of producing and story that goes into those shows, I'm sure, is on par with Amazing Race or whatever, you know, maybe not logistically. But there is. There's, like, some inherent judgment about competition versus, quote, reality shows. Oh, sure. And I think that that is something that smart coverage like Yvonne's piece help do is kind of talk about reality TV that doesn't have a competition element in a way that says, you may label this trash and put that in that corner, but this is actually vastly more influential than Project Runway is or Top Chef. And that is no knock on those shows, which I'm a great fan of. But The Hills and the other shows that sort of helped create this subgenre really have sort of defined the way that people exist in public. And I don't just mean famous people. I mean all of us. But that is exactly what people like to harp on when they say reality television is destroying our culture, right? Like that girls want to look like the Kardashians or they think going to the places on the hills gives them cachet or whatever. I mean, do you think there's any legitimacy to that argument that these are sort of like hollow pursuits? I just don't think that the pursuit of beauty, money, and fame was invented in 2006. Right. That idea has been that that is something that you should strive for has been around, well, it long predates Hollywood even. But let's focus on Hollywood. That has been key to Hollywood since the advent of selling moving pictures to the public. I think what has changed, and this goes back to that sort of question of before the era of the hills, I think what you had was People would become famous from being in, say, movies or scripted TV shows. And then you would want to get a glimpse into what their quote-unquote real life was like. Now someone who you first get a glimpse into what their quote-unquote real life is like becomes famous from that. That is where I think reality TV, that as we know it, has been kind of an evolution of the idea of fame. But that to me is like a neutral assessment. There's no value judgment in that. Why shouldn't we all be famous? <laughs> well, if we're all famous, then nobody is famous. Is that why people like brush up against that idea so much? I mean, because that's so fascinating to me with Kardashians in particular, when the main argument is like, oh, they're famous for being famous. Like, so what? I actually, that's what I like about it. Like, it makes it feel like, this is so tragic, but I will admit it. Like, everyone <laughs> sort of has something special in them, that it is attainable, that like, you don't have to be just, an incredible actress or like 
astonishingly beautiful, even though a lot of reality stars are, to stick out in some way. Well, I think at that point, though, you're also having to kind of define your terms of like, what does fame mean? What I mean by that is I think fame becomes essentially a platform, like a megaphone. And I think you see the way in which the Kardashians have used that for business purposes. Kim Kardashian increasingly is using it for social justice purposes, which I don't think anyone was expecting. And so I think it's what do you do with the platform once you are given it? Like once you are handed the megaphone, what do you do with it? And that's one way in which the Kardashians have been a fascinating exemplar of what fame can be and where I'm not exactly sure what Lauren Conrad's politics are, but I don't know that she's used the platform of the Hills and her subsequent business career to make any sort of like social change or political commentary or say anything larger. But does like how many actresses and actors do that? Well, but also how many CEOs and chair people of boards do that? I mean, I think that then the question becomes, and I think the Kardashians are a great example of this because what really kind of changed my mind about it as someone who doesn't really regularly watch the Kardashian franchise but has been aware of it is there's been a kind of a meme where people jokingly say Kris Jenner never sleeps because she's planning out her family's business empire you know while the rest of us are resting but that to me is like Kris Jenner's skill is as a businesswoman but it is framed as being famous for being famous but we wouldn't criticize someone who rose to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company for not speaking out about social justice issues. Maybe we should, but we don't. And so I think that you have to think of it in those terms. Are you holding these people to a different standard than you would hold any other wealthy or well-known person in our society? That is where, to me, the rubber meets the road. Well, but many of those CEOs may have wealth and presumably even more wealth, but they don't have Fame. They don't necessarily have the public's attention in the way that people who've come out through the kind of the reality machine would. But like, think about when Bill Gates makes a huge donation. People know. These people have the resources to, if not become famous in the sense that we're talking about, they do have the platform to speak out or make a difference on these issues. But because they aren't necessarily right in front of us all the time or their names aren't on the tip of our tongue, we maybe don't hold them accountable in the same way that we do someone like Lauren Conrad. I would love to see all of these people become more involved in things like social justice or advocating for higher taxes on the wealthy. But Um, also they may (laughs) be doing it and we just don't know. Okay, but all this being said, like, I don't want to be judged or feel bad for just watching Justin Bobby and Audrina maybe have a flirty date. Like, can't that just give me some sort of vapid enjoyment? Why does Audrina have to be the philanthropist of the year? I'm a big believer that there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. If you take pleasure in it, enjoy it. It's television, after all. It's a form of entertainment. But I think that there is something about why reality TV is so controversial that brushes up against what we feel like we are capable of achieving ourselves, Mm -hmm. what we feel like are the greatest flaws in our current society, what we feel like Hollywood doesn't show or appreciate enough. I think you can do both. You can watch an episode of The Hills New Beginnings and just get sort of pure as you say, vapid enjoyment out of it, and then the next morning step back and say, there are actually bigger stakes in shows like this being on television, and we should unpack those. I mean, I try to do that because this is the job we have, but, you know, for a lot of friends I have who watch it and don't do that, I I think that's fine as well. Right. Yeah. 
And uh, I think this is maybe a great place for us to wrap up this conversation. It's 2019. We're going to take every shred of hope and romance and love that we can get and moving on to something better. So with that, Amy, why don't you tell people where they can uh, where they can find your work online? You can find me at Amy K in LA on Twitter, where I will be potentially live tweeting the hills all season. And Matt? You can find me at The Film Goer on Twitter, where I will be live tweeting the Democratic primary debates. Oh, okay. I see. I see. That was some shade. <laughs> and uh, I, of course, am at Indie Focus on Twitter. And uh, so for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. And this week's show was produced by Kitty Cooper and edited by Mike Heflin.